This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Bienvenue. Welcome. I don't know how does that song go. I don't even know the song you're singing, so you could say it goes however you think it goes. It's, um, well, does he... Howdy and bon chance, cabaret. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name's Andrew. And I'm so alone. I'm just alone with my thoughts and how do I know that anything else is real except my own thoughts? I was I was going to ask if you wanted to make this week's show just a series of loosely connected declarative statements. I'm, because- <laughs> that's what my notes for this show are. Mm-hmm. So uh, I am podcasting right now. Mm-hmm. And you're listening to me. I am. Ami, the podcast. Mm-hmm. But what is podcasting? And if you say these words and a magic machine captures them and nobody else hears them, then did you say them? I really want to listen to Anakin Skywalker's podcast called That's Now That's Podcasting. <laughs> uh huh. I would listen to is that. Is that a declared? Then that's like a reference to another work, too. So that's where we're getting yeah, all it's this. All illusory. This Stein, Every week, one of us reads a book, and sometimes it's easy and sometimes it's hard. But regardless of the effort involved, we come to you, the listener, with our hat in hand, and we tell you about what we just read. <laughs> Craig, what did you read this week? I read Wittgenstein's Mistress by David Markson. Hmm. Uh, this was a Patreon recommendation. <laughs> Would you believe it? Uh, oh, we didn't find this one on our own. <laughs> <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't find this weird postmodern book based on the Tractatus Logico-Philosophicus <laughs> by ourselves. This was recommended by multiple Patreon supporters. Thank Jeez. you. Uh, first to Adam, who said, really enjoying the podcast. I wanted to put forth my Patreon book nomination, Wittgenstein's Mistress. Thanks. I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> I like that one because it's like, I might be enjoying this too much. Here's Read <laughs> Wittgenstein's Mistress. Uh, and Celeste said, I would really like to listen to you read and talk about Wittgenstein's Mistress by David Markson. We are all inescapably alone. Enjoy. Wow. Okay. Uh, thanks, Adam and Celeste. Uh, let me say this up thanks. front. If you can't <laughs> tell from the energy I'm already bringing, I have um, anxiety about being able to convey or properly tackle what this book is up to. Mm-hmm. But I do want to say... I don't let that stop me, baby. <laughs> I... I had a fun read. Like, okay. It was, 
I don't know. I I enjoyed <laughs> myself. I I have uh, the book immediately on the first page reminded me of a book I read for the show woo too long ago. Um, Samuel Beckett's The Unnameable. I think mm-hmm. it reminded me of a Sam Beckett novel. My buddy Sam. He's and I, compared to Sam Beckett. Yeah. David Markson is sometimes. Yes. And I and I do not Doctor Sam Beckett the playwright sam Bain. i know i know i know um and i like that guy <laughs> I mean, he might be a doctor i don't know <laughs> i don't know but we're not um, talking about the we're not talking about a guy who leaps quantumly into the bodies of other people <laughs> in history missed opportunity there um but yeah i had a fun read with this and then i was like oh i should probably like read a little bit about what I just read so I can talk about it. And I got a lot of headaches. Like I just mm-hmm. kind of woof the, the, Ooh, <laughs> that is, that is not, I read a swath of good reads reviews for this one. And, and there are a lot of people who wrote reviews in the, in simple declare a series of simple <laughs> declarative statements <laughs> in parody of what the book is trying to do. But there were, a few, quite a few people who were like, I read it and I kind of liked it. And then I read David Foster Wallace's explanation yeah. in the back of the book for why he liked it. And it made me feel like I got it less than I should have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I skimmed that. What is it called? It has a name. It has a name. I don't remember what, it, if you can find it, that's cool. Uh, but that's, so that's one thing to know about this work. Um, the empty plenum. The Empty Plenum, Wittgenstein's Mistress, yeah. was published in 1988 by this guy, David Markson. Stuff to know about Markson, he was born in 1927, he died in 2010, and he's an American postmodern author. And for the purposes of our discussion, postmodern includes everything in a book that could give you a headache, including <laughs> uh, unreliable weirdo narrators, uh, like metafiction within fiction. Uh, sure. Like breaking the fourth wall, eclectic references to stuff, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, he went to Union College and Columbia University. He was a journalist and an editor before he became an author. Became an author like pretty late in his life. Like this was sort of his first big like breakout thing, and it didn't cool. happen until 1988. Like he was almost 60 years old. There's that story of um, it being rejected like 54 or 55 times or rejected something. Rejected a bunch, bunch of times. And, you know, books like, that happens with books all the time. And I, it was it was well-reviewed at the time. Um, I read a New York Times review playfully titled, Home is Where the Art Is. That's a, I saw that title. It's very good. <laughs> Stupid. Um, but it was it, it was brought to the attention of a new audience i think when wallace yeah wrote this p like he wrote a thing for slate that was about like underappreciated uh, american novels uh between mm. 1960 and when he wrote the piece and this was on that list and then he wrote that big essay about it like and about how much he liked it and that became included in later editions, including probably the one that you read. And if you're reading along at home with us, probably the one that you read too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of the thing. Like this is, <laughs> this is Markson's like deal. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking in, I'm looking at this list here. I look, mm-hmm. can I just read the novels listed in the also buy page? Sure. Epitaph for a tramp. Epitaph for a deadbeat. Mm-hmm. The Ballad of Dingus McGee. Mm-hmm. That's an anti-Western, is what <laughs> my research 
leads me to understand. Miss Doll, go home. Going down. Springer's progress. Reader's block. This is not a novel. Vanishing point. The last novel. Mm-hmm. And it's my understanding his later books just take whatever he was doing here and just kind of triple it. It was my. <laughs> it's my understanding is that it's like, what if you took Wittgenstein's mistress and you're like, this has too much character work in it. <laughs> yeah. This is too concerned with character building and world building. I'm going to, I'm going to do, I'm going to do even more. Yeah. That sounds uh, good to me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, from a, from a guardian review, I read Hi- highly distinctive in form. Wittgenstein's mistress consists of a series or better an accumulation of mostly one or two sentence paragraphs. The prose echoes the aphoristic style Wittgenstein himself employed in his Tractatus Logico Philosophicus. Although the connection many modern readers might sooner make is to tweets. This is from a 2015 review, not tonight, not, not a 1988 review. I, the I reviewer some, didn't invent tweets. I have some thoughts on the on the tweets. That, a, a conclusion I came to on my own. Thank you. Sure, mm-hmm. um, that's what we do here. But yeah, that that is not. I wouldn't be cheeky about making that comparison, especially after you know a decade of Twitter and like what it is and isn't and it's been like 14 years oh wow really (laughs) yeah oh man okay (laughs) um yeah and i had never i'm not this book made me feel smart and dumb because i read Mm -hmm. this book and was like good time i i had some thoughts and some feelings and things Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. i'm like I don't know that i understand philosophy because i'm trying to learn about mr wittgenstein and like i could tell you that he lived in the 20th century, and he's <laughs> from Vienna, and his family was kind of rich, um, and that he, you know, got into mathematics and engineering, um, and then philosophy happened? Like, I don't... <laughs> I can't... Here's what I can tell you about the Tractatus Logico-Philosophicus, which I mentioned a couple of times, is it's a... Uh, a book by Ludwig Wittgenstein, uh, written in written during World War One, published in 1921, and then published in English in 1922. And it's 525 declarative statements, and they are arranged hierarchically. So that what that means is that there are like seven top line suppositions that the book makes about philosophy. And then there are a bunch of nested suppositions under each of those, and under each of those are even more suppositions, and it's all just kind of like stacked on top of each other. So I'm just going to read the seven top line <laughs> things. Yeah, that the, please. The world is everything that is the case. Yeah. There are no oh. commas or anything in that. The world is everything that is the case. Thank you for saying that out loud, because that quote is in this book. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I understood it right. Mm-hmm. I don't think I understand it right now. Uh, number two, what is the case? The fact is the existence of atomic facts. You got, you got, you got that one. Okay, number no. three, the logical picture of the facts is the thought. And then I'll, I'll read some sub ones too, because I think maybe they help paint it a little bit. Sure. Uh, in the proposition, the thought is expressed perceptively through the senses. In propositions, thoughts can be so expressed that to the objects of the thoughts correspond the elements of the propositional sign. <laughs> what? Okay. <laughs> okay, number four. The thought is the significant proposition. Number five. 
Propositions are truth functions of elementary propositions. Parentheses. An elementary proposition is a truth function of itself. Number six, the general form of truth function is a math. It's written as a mathematical equation. Uh, this is the general form of proposition. I can't read the equation. It, I just don't know how to. It's like open, open bracket, letter P, weird squiggly E, and then a capital N, and then the weird squiggly E in parentheses, and then a close bracket. I don't know what that means. Number seven, and there's no sub anything under this, which is clever. Uh, whereof one cannot speak, thereof one must be silent. So if you don't know anything about it, shut up. And so that should be the end of the podcast, probably. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, but I, I, so Wittgenstein himself would return to this work later and be like, a bunch of this stuff is a little shaky, my dudes. I don't know <laughs> what to tell you. Um, but the thing, so so Wittgenstein's mistress which I guess is a joke because Wittgenstein was a homosexual. This I've seen <laughs> I've seen some accounts that he was bisexual, but we don't, you know, who knows? Yeah, I think it's I, the person the reviews I read was like, oh, that's a joke because he was gay. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Um. So the book Wittgenstein's Mistress, written in simple declarative facts, I don't think it is arranged hierarchically, but my understanding no. from reading reviews is that there are a sort of like subgenres of thoughts or like artists that the character returns to over and over again. And I do think maybe possibly it's sort of, it it serves as like an unnumbered version of this where you could probably build a tree of some sort if you really wanted to, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like aping the structure and that's, yeah. As well as the, like the medium. And, and aping the, uh, the message a bit um there's something from the uh foster wallace aft like article that he he talks about this being so this is like a lot of whatever's coming out of this theory and what wittgenstein's engaging with and certainly what is in this book is this like solipsism which i believe is the thing where you the only thing that you can prove is that you exist mm-hmm. so you're the only thing that exists uh-huh right like the philosopher's mind is the only thing that the philosopher knows for a fact is happening that feels like a shaky supposition yeah i don't know how you are sure that you exist well, well anyway. that's a, i mean yeah sure you can even yes but like if let's take that as a given that's the only thing that you have. Everything else is external to you. You don't even know. Sure. Um, okay, fine. And he basically, Foster Wallace makes an argument that this book is doing a thing that what I just did can't ever accomplish, which is to actually give you like space to live in what it would be like to practice that theory as opposed to just like, Hey, I have a theory. What if you can only prove that your own mind exists? Uh-huh. Like this book, and I'll talk about, I guess, how it attempts to do this after the break, uh, is a reality in which one character is alone and her only evidence of her own existence are her thoughts, and she has no evidence of anyone else's existence anymore. Okay. So it's just, it's. It is an interesting literalization, 
of this and what it would feel like. And I think the the, the reason that somebody might kind of want to investigate that school of thought is that there there's a t- there are times where you feel that way, for sure. Feel what way? Like you're the only person. Like you're the only living boy in New York. Mm-hmm. You get the news from the weather report, but you know. What? Just singing over here. Don't. I'm okay. just making simple declarative statements, referencing other works okay. by popular artists. I just like everything. Everything I've read about this so far, and everything that you said, makes me really glad that you read it and not me. And so that. So that's where I am right now. Yeah. So I know sure. if I had had to read this book for the show, probably just would have gotten a little mad about it. Mm-hmm. About having had to do it, mm-hmm. and that would be the ep- what the episode was about. Mm-hmm. But now the episode can be about us trying to unpack psych like what is philosophy not psychology philosophy the other p one that's about yeah. the brain <laughs> yeah you can try anyway if you could pr- you could prove to yourself that you exist or you can prove to everyone you can exist i think it's to yourself okay let me just because um, if you could prove to if you could prove to somebody else that you exist, then couldn't they prove to you that they exist? And then couldn't we all prove to each other that we all exist? And so we all exist. Uh, solipsism is the philosophical idea that only one's mind is sure to exist as an epistemological position. Solipsism holds that knowledge of anything outside one's own mind is unsure. The external world and other minds cannot be known and might not exist outside the mind. I guess. Like, how do I how do yeah. I know that the color I see is blue is what everybody sees as blue? How do I know when I eat a pizza roll and somebody else eats a pizza roll that we are both experiencing the same thing about pizza rolls? And if we're experiencing different things, then does that mean anything about pizza rolls is empirically true? <laughs> You're right. What and about then the, the whole what thing if just I eat and the then rice the, from Cadoba and like it, and you eat the rice from Cadoba and it tastes like soap? Mm, solipsism I, yeah, yeah solipsism. <laughs> solipsism baby um yeah i can i any of these philosophies where you just like pull a thread and the entire like edifice of society comes crumbling down makes me uncomfortable uh i'm in my list of declarative statements in my notes uh i just wrote this is the kind of stuff that if you start talking about it off the cuff, you start to sound high mm-hmm. or start to sound like if you were high, it would make more sense. Mm-hmm. It's kind of how I feel thinking about this book. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Well, I can't prove to you, Andrew, that we're going to take a break, but just trust me and I'll see you on the other side. <laughs> okay. I know that I am going to take a break. Hey, Andrew. Hey, Craig. It's Craig. They say that book publishing is a glamorous world filled with money, privilege, and three martini lunches. Is they it? say this? Do they say this? They do. Okay. If you're like us, you the listener, and you want to dive into the messy power struggles, scams, and unfathomably bad behavior within the book world, then I recommend checking out Missing Pages, an all-new investigative podcast from the Podglomerate. It's hosted by literary critic and publishing insider Beth Ann Patrick, who spills the tea on some of the world's most famous and infamous book figures. On this week's episode, 19-year-old Kavya Vishwanathan had it all, from a Harvard admission to a six-figure book deal. But by the end of the year, she was on a national television apology tour. What happened? 
Beth Ann conducts an exclusive interview with Kavi herself to set the story straight. Missing Pages is worth the hype. I mean, where else can you hear your favorite authors, publishing insiders, and a circus of New York City media elites telling the real story? Unfit for print and perfect for podcasting. So go ahead, find Missing Pages wherever you find podcasts. A lady is in a beach house typing on a typewriter. The book is all one or two sentence statements by her for 200 pages. Digressions on Western philosophy and art, particularly the Greeks. She believes she's the only person on earth. Is she? Is she? It's a great question. I mean, functionally, is she because she believes that she is? Functionally, she is because we never encounter another well, what does it really mean to encounter someone? That's, she well, talks okay, about okay, a lot so of she she doesn't meet anybody, and she's the only person we know. And so, as far as we know or have to care, she's the only person left on Earth. Yes, and the version of that reality that is conveyed to us through her simple declarative statements is that ten-ish mm, years ago, uh, everybody went away. <laughs> it's uh, there's no explanation. Mm-hmm. Um, this is an apocalypse story. Mm-hmm. It is I, not a. <laughs> it is not a work of genre fiction. I had read that Markson had more in the book originally yeah. about like the cause and circumstances of the apocalypse, and then he decided. I guess he decided it must have made the book too accessible because then he took it out. Like I can't, I can only know my mind. I can't know David Markson's mind. So that's yeah. kind of me guessing what he was doing here in the prison. That is my own mind. I think there is like, oh, you got work for it. You got dig. You got search real hard. There is maybe a, a, a something that happened or things that. If she isn't literally the last person on Earth that caused this mental state that she's in, if we want to be literal about it, to occur, then yeah, maybe she did something. Maybe something bad happened, and this is how she perceives reality now. Mm -hmm. Um, That is in there if you want to find it, but the primary effect of the novel is that that's not relevant or it's, or it's not the, necessary does the is the book concerned at all with like how does she eat how does she get gas for her car oh yeah oh yeah totally she um i guess looking back on it, i don't remember what she eats but she does eat mm-hmm. um it's concerned with her menstruation a lot i i read so that's three star <laughs> reviews um Kate says of this book, it wasn't terrible, just a slight and dated bit of one trick pony postmodernism with some wincingly ham fisted attempts to write from a woman's perspective. Parentheses. Menstruation is just like a randomly gushing tap, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it just shows up a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, here's, here's a passage where it comes up. Um, where does she? Uh, I t- it's hard to pull up. Okay. Halfway to Sparta, I got my period. Throughout my life, my period has always managed to surprise me. Even in spite of my generally having been out of sorts for some days beforehand, this is, which I will almost invariably have attributed to other causes. So doubtless it was not the Parthenon which had made me weep after all, or even necessarily my madness temporarily slipping away. 
Already, obviously, the other had been coming on, and so somebody called my name. I still do menstruate today, incidentally, if irregularly. Uh, A few lines down. There is naturally nothing in the Iliad or in any of the plays about anybody menstruating, or in the Odyssey, so doubtless a woman did not write that after all. What is... You got a man writing about a woman writing about how men don't talk about menstruation in books. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, I don't have anything else to say about that. There's a lot of... uh, I believe the main character's name is Kate. Yes. Um, And she does spend a lot of time thinking about particularly women in the Greek... Uh, literary, like the ancient Greek literary canon, mm-hmm. um, your Clytemnestras, your Helen, your Penelope's. Um, People who existed mostly to launch ships and be returned home to, and then sometimes to turn jerks into pigs. Yeah, or or to like murder someone because what else are you going to do? Because you're a crazy lady and it's mm-hmm. ancient Greece. Mm-hmm. Um, she does center a lot of her thought on Helen and what it, what the, like just really thinking through what it would be like to be the woman who caused this giant war and how like that can't have been true. And if it is, her experience is just like, what like she changed the world for that in- entire society if that is a, a true experience for her um and like reshaped countries mm-hmm. based on you know a dude that she was banging um mm-hmm. and i think there's supposed to be a connection to kate's experience uh she does allude to having a number of partners uh in the before times, before mm-hmm. she was the last person on Earth. Right. You would have to have other people around to have partners, I suppose. Yeah, she did have a husband, and they had a son. The names I'm not using because they kind of get a little slippy. Her yeah. uh, her memory is a little slippy. And so I believe her son died like tragically younger than he should have. Before the the apocalypse or whatever, yeah. Um, And so, like, there is a read on this book that kind of, as I was saying earlier, um, and this was not like, I don't know, some of this stuff sort of comes in in the back part of the book, and I was like sort of making these connections a little bit. I needed some help from some reviews I was reading uh, that perhaps whatever precipitated her family situation that she may or may not be at fault for various parts of is what kind of led to this reality breaking event for Mm -hmm. her. Unclear. You don't spend a lot of time getting to the bottom of that. I don't think it's the point. Okay. So to to the extent that there is a plot, to the extent that there is a point, can we, can we sum it up in a way that is not, that that is not like unreliable and circuitous like the narration of the book. <laughs> it's um, like I'm just I'm trying to find like a just just like a straightforward something straightforward. Is there anything? Okay, let's presume that the facts that she sh- okay this is a book where there's a lot of facts. Uh huh. Or are there exactly? And let's trust 
or at least take at face value a lot of the facts that she shares about herself and her experiences. Mm-hmm. She's currently living in a house on a beach. Uh, she is a visual artist, a painter who is in her late 40s. Uh, she had a kid. She lost her parents, died previously. Uh, since the end times began, she has traveled the globe. Uh, she makes many references to, in the first few years, actually looking for other people and never finding them. She spent many of her ta- much of her time living in various museums across the globe. Uh, sometimes, how's she, how's she traveling around? It's un um okay. So in some places, she has a car, and she talks like- about scavenging. <laughs> other car batteries or like just so like it's kind of raptury the the effect is like people are people were there and now they're not left behind but she's the only one left behind yeah and it's just mil- billions and billions of pairs of shoes on the, <laughs> on the ground. No, i guess i don't know it's, yeah she doesn't answer the question of like did they take their clothes with them or anything i'm just i'm just hung up i guess because i i had read that all living th- not just humans but all living things are gone from the earth like all like including animals and bugs and stuff or I, I assumed it included animals and bugs and stuff anyway my i'm getting hung up on the <laughs> on the if you're wondering how he eats and breeds of it all but like food doesn't stay good forever gas doesn't stay good forever how are you still doing all this come on it's only been come about on, 10 David. it's only come been on, about David 10 Markson. years it you can leave gas for a lawnmower like in a shed for a season and it can be bad by the time you get to it. Like it, it can happen pretty fast. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I don't know. This is the eighties. Maybe Markson didn't know that. Um, okay. Maybe they hadn't invented <laughs> gas going bad yet. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's silly. Um, so she's, yeah, she's driving around in cars. Uh, she does take a boat across the Atlantic. That's explained in the fact that she takes a boat. Uh-huh. A small boat, uh, mm-hmm. should, not a sailboat. I think it does use gas to, uh-huh. just to further frustrate you. Uh-huh. And just the whole Atlantic Ocean, huh? <laughs> I think so. Cause she, and, she just, and she just makes it, huh? <laughs> yeah. Well, she talks about going to Europe, um, and she talks about going to Mexico, and she talks about being in New York City, and it's, yeah, it's unclear how she gets there. If she went to any of those places, hard to know. Uh, but she seems to think that she's been to those places and been yeah. in those museums. That would that would drive me a little up the wall. I guess I would just be assuming that if something sounded really difficult for one person acting totally alone to do, that she's lying about it. <laughs> but I guess that uncertainty is part of what the book is doing. Yeah, because it's also it's pretty in the early going of the book, especially if you're not really like f- fully aware of what's happening. Um, she's just like globetrotting. She's been everywhere and she's been in all these cool places and like it's kind of unclear what in what why she would even do that. Um so so okay, she's living in museums. Um at one point she rolled a bunch of tennis balls down the street in Italy. Uh-huh. This is the thing that happened. I think I've seen an ad that was like that. At one point in England, question mark, a car rolled down a hill and almost mm-hmm. hit her. Mm-hmm. And you might think, why did that? Mm-hmm. Why was that car moving? The brakes go out. Well, yeah, and she's like, there was no one driving it, 
But would the effect have been any different if someone was? Yes. To her? Really a, per- a car yeah, hits the- her. That's it. Okay, but if a person is driving it, then the car could stop and the person inside the car could speak with her. I guess. Yeah. But they don't. <laughs> and it still hits her. Once it hits her, does it matter? Does it hit her or does it almost hit her? It almost hits her. Well, then that does not almost isn't anything. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a thing that happened. Uh-huh. Um, and you could get, you have somebody to flip off and be like, hey, you almost hit oh, me. Oh, that's and true. Then, and then they get out of the car and then they're like, oh, you're alive. Sorry. I'm alive. Yeah, no, you're and, right. Mm-hmm. You, sorry. The the It matters if it doesn't hit her. She's saying if it did hit me, would it have mattered if anyone was driving the car? I mean, not everybody dies when they get hit by cars. I feel like I've got really easy answers for all the big philosophical Here's questions what I this think book's is trying cool. to ask so far. I like what I liked about this book uh-huh. is that I did feel like I was like I was in a hang with a character. Mm-hmm. Partially a function of the of the voice is that she is just typing to the reader, so she is not thinking "quote unquote" the book. She is typing it. Right. Um, but she's not like, it gets, it takes a long time for the book to be like, what if I wrote a novel? Like, and then you're like, mm-hmm. whoa, it's a novel. Um, <laughs> but for a long part of the book, it's just, it feels like it's her thoughts. She does make reference to the typewriter or whatever. Um, Foster Wallace ma- pointed out that uh, because she's a visual artist by trade and skill and, and kind of persona, um, it doesn't have that kind of, you know, when it, we've, we've joked on previous pods when like Stephen King has a writer as a main character, like almost yes. all of them, like mm-hmm. this doesn't have that energy. She doesn't think of herself as a writer. She is just the, the typewriter is the mechanism by which she's recording her thoughts. If this were a Stephen King book, it would be the first third of it would be about how glad he was that all the editors and publishers <laughs> were dead. <laughs> But then he'd be sad because no one could read his books. Ooh, there's a version. Where's the version of Time Enough at Last from the perspective of a writer of books? Oh, no. Finally, I have time to write books, but there's nobody to read them. Oh, man. Um, She is in this house on the beach. She talks about how she also there's another house on the beach that she used to live in, but she it caught fire, let's it say. It became on fire. It became on fire. Um, she may or may not have been responsible. There are multiple ways in which she may or may not have been responsible. But suffice to say, it has burned down. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is this quote where she says, I still notice the burned house mornings when I walk along the beach. Well, obviously, I do not notice the house. What I notice is what remains of the house. One is still prone to think of a house as a house, however, even if there is not remarkably much left of it. Yeah. That, there's a lot of stuff like that. Another one is when she's thinking about another nearby house that used to have a poster on the wall. I think this quote was in the New York Times review. I, yeah, this this yeah. this one I was going to bring up because I, I, I did think it was interesting. Yeah. Yeah, but then my brain always does a thing where it's like, well... Yeah, you read the thing. And okay, the okay. Um, she finds that a poster had fallen from the wall of a nearby house. And she's thinking about how she can picture that poster on the wall 
of that house? Where was the poster when it was on the wall in my head, but was not on the wall in the other house? Mm-hmm. Why did I have the bowl, Bart? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was on the floor. Was it, though? Like, I couldn't the- perceive it. Okay, and I'm the, the only person on earth capable of perceiving Andrew. But the fact that it became on the floor and you couldn't like conceive of it being on the floor before you saw it on the floor means that you are not the only one like creating reality. Like reality is still happening externally with that when you aren't paying attention to things. This book is is functioning as if from the perspective of someone who cannot prove that and is wrestling yeah. with the fact that she cannot prove that. I guess I get that. It is interesting because of the way, to me, uh, and I agree with you, like I, I agree the universe exists when I stop, even though I'm not looking at it all the time. I guess you'd just be like, for, for in 10 years, for like one poster to fall down, like you would just be observing so many signs of nature reclaiming yeah. human civilization and like entropy reasserting itself with that, with no one to assert order on top of it. And like, yeah, of course, <laughs> like other yeah. stuff is happening. Yeah, yeah. I it, guess if it, you narrow it down to one like highlights for children thing where you're finding the five things that are different between these two pictures. You can convince yourself. She's zeroing in on individual things. I, she knows a lot of things are changing, but I do. She is um, because we are trapped in her POV and even more so we're trapped in her reflections on her POV. Like the literal effect is neither she nor we can know when that poster fell mm-hmm. when it changed from poster up to poster down was on the poster i don't remember what that might you, matter. in your mind in your mind what's in the, what's on the poster to me mm-hmm. right now yeah it's one of those french like uh f- like kind of old-timey restaurant movie posters that says le chat on it and has a oh, big yeah, black yeah, that's cat good. that's good yeah, that's, that's a good one i don't know that that's what was on it but that's what's on it in my brain Mm-hmm. I was gonna say it was a Hello Kitty poster, so we both got kitties Whoa, on the brain. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, what's left on my list of statements here? In her house, <laughs> there are a lot of books. There's a book about Brahms, the life of the composer Brahms. He's he's kind of one of our entrees into the list of people from history that she spends all of the book talking about. Okay. Um. She shares a lot of trivia or trivial thoughts about composers and philosophers and visual artists, some authors, um, and I don't get most of the illusions. Okay. Because I have not, you know, like I get a little bit, I get the, like I know what Vivaldi sounds like. Oh, I... I kind of understand who Goethe is. Like, uh, I've ever heard the name Bertrand Russell. Like, the okay, fine. I thought it was funny when she found a baseball book, and she c- confessed that she didn't know much about baseball, and she misremembered one of the players' names as Sam Usual, which is not the man's name. It's Stan Usual. But now I'm never not going to think about him as a guy named Sam, Sam Usual. Usual. That was a fun joke for me. Mm-hmm. Um, 
There are lots of books in her house that she's living in that were in the basement, or were they? And the titles change sometimes because she's changing what she remembers about them. This is not a book that you can trust the like learning about the people she's referencing. Uh sure. Yeah, because she it sounds like her recall of things. Yeah. Her, her knowledge is imperfect and incomplete in the first place and then her recall is not always great. No, and and she's constantly like why did I say it was that when it was this? I don't really remember why I thought it was that. I definitely know it's this. And then like 20 pages later, I was wrong when I said it was that. It was this other thing instead. Mm-hmm. Um, because who's there to correct her? No one. Um, sometimes that does, sound, that, that does sound lovely. Yeah. The world with no internet commenters. Um, you mentioned that maybe the book has like a hierarchical kind of backbone that is like aping Wittgenstein. I don't know that I picked I think up that on is possible, but yeah. it's just a, it was just a thought. I picked up on the the phenomenon of the book where like every few pages she would introduce, and it might be a topic she talked about before, but she will kind of focus on something for a while, um, and then. Like, you know, she'll tell us to almost tell a story about the time she f- went to the tennis court and, you know, batted the tennis balls around. She mm-hmm. does talk, Andrew, about how in this, you know, apocalypse world that she wouldn't have been able to hit the tennis balls around if they hadn't been kept in the tennis ball cans and pressurized. Mm-hmm. But even then, they'd still lost some of their pressure. So it wasn't super fun to hit the tennis balls around. Okay. I just wanted to, like, there is he, some. He's thinking of happening. something. Like yeah. gas still exists, but <laughs> also and, like, like, all, and all the food in the world hasn't gone bad somehow. <laughs> and like, there's the, nothing in here about her having to hunt. No, deer. she talks about she talks about pooping. Okay. Um, so she's eaten something, uh, but she and she talks about listening to tapes in the car. So the car batteries must work. Well, I mean, the battery would have to work, or the car, or the car work. wouldn't go. Sorry, cars. Yes. Yeah. Um. Uh, but she will like tell us a little story about the tennis courts or she will go on a riff about Wittgenstein. For instance, she talks about him a bunch. She talks about some other philosophers or she'll go on a riff about one of the characters from ancient Greece that she wants to talk about. And then there'll be like two pages of thoughts from like 20 different topics Mm-hmm. like in a row and they're all mm-hmm. just kind of like fumbling over each other um the difference between someone like just randomly scrolling through someone's twitter feed and like finding when they've decided to do a thread or like a live tweet of something it does feel like you are it does feel at times like a person's twitter feed or th- that kind of like I don't know. I'm gonna put a thought out there. Oh, is and that, now and I like have some, another thought about sometimes it. Sometimes it's a bunch of dis- j- disjointed stuff that's posted like three days apart, and sometimes it's a longer interconnected run, and it's stalled all over the place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, 
here, what other thoughts do I have? I don't think I'm smart enough for this novel. Well, let me contradict myself. I'm not smart enough in the ways the book wants me to be smart to get all of its references and to truly consider what it's doing the first time through. However, the voice is consistent enough that I feel like I was spending time with a person, and the nuggets of the quote-unquote real-world events were like little morsels. She also keeps saying, this is how I know a man didn't write this. Why does she talk about translation so much? Is it related to the inability to communicate ideas? She does talk about... Um, reading Greek plays where she thinks the characters are quoting Shakespeare, which is weird. Because how is that possible? I mean, it's just not. She's wrong. Well, she's she either re- wrong. Yeah, she's, she's either wrong about what they're quoting or wrong about them being Greek plays. She's she's wrong because then she later realizes that the guy who did the translation loved Shakespeare. Uh huh. So he's using a bunch of that English in his translation of these greek stories Mm -hmm. um and she talks about how in visual art she does this thing where she's talking about a painting where she's not sure if there's someone in the window inside of a painting and she goes on about this for like a page and then she does this thing that our friend's daughter did to us when we were on vacation, Andrew. Oh, where she, where the we find where the line between pretend and yes. reality ends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, where like in the this story was our friend's daughter was like telling me all the imaginative things that a pool noodle was, and I tried to ask a follow up question, and I was told very matter of factly that it was a pool noodle. Yeah, it's not. It's not a seahorse. Actually, it's a pool noodle. Like, don't uh, ask me what my seahorse's favorite yes. food is or what it likes. It's a poo. <laughs> it's a pool noodle. And idiot. Th- this one, Kate pulled out a like. I can't tell if there's someone in the upper window of this painting, but after all, it's just oil on a canvas. Like, let's not. It's pretend. It's just. It's just pretend. It's just pretend. Um, and then she goes on a big riff. Here's my next statement. Here, uh, how do we know other people? How are we even sure they exist? She goes on a long riff, Andrew, about our favorite dog from the Odyssey, Argus. Uh huh. And how he's the one who recognizes Odysseus, but Penelope yes. doesn't. <laughs> Uh-huh. And just how bizarre that is and how could he actually know who this man, this trickster man is and why doesn't Penelope get to do that? And what if Penelope really had sex with all the suitors? She wouldn't wait that long. It's it's a it's a riff, my friend. Okay, sure. You know. Uh-huh. Um, this this I'm getting more glad that you read this book and not me and not less. <laughs> I okay. So yeah, <laughs> uh, let's shift back into. I, I just want to hear you bounce off of some other, please, like, some some reviews. Um, uh, this is from Teresa on Goodreads. So it is with confidence that I state this book could have created a sonic boom with the whoosh sound of things that went over my head. Mm. I enjoyed it, but mostly at face value and as a lowly pleb, I thought it was creative and interesting. But I certainly missed all the deeper meaning and subtleties that I understand are there. David Foster Wallace's afterward made it worse. Like the book was a world I never should have visited in the first place since all I was looking to do was just enjoy a damn book. And that is apparently a simple minded approach to this one. Meh. Huh. And sir, in the review. So you mentioned earlier, not really understanding a lot of the illusions. Let me find a page not, where I you know, don't understand things. Yeah. And just like, d- did you, what 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 does what Teresa said resonate with you at all? Do you feel like you didn't get it, or do you feel like that stuff is there to be gotten, but it's not like core to what the book is doing? I th- I think I got 
a I think I got a um good space read, not good read. I got a good read out of this book by treating it like a dramatic monologue that I was reading by a character who had knowledge of things that I didn't fully understand, but I found her desire to convey them compelling. Okay. I completely understand and I did experience the thing where I'm looking at a page of Heidegger this, uh, you know, Levi Strauss that, uh, Russian names I don't know. Oh, there's one composer I recognize. Oh, wait, we're talking about a cat now. Like, a pa- I don't know what... Ha- I'm probably missing half, if not more than that, of what this book is doing. Okay. Because I don't understand the specific references in each moment. Okay, so, okay. I can get and I can ascribe meaning to the fact that it is a work making a bunch of illusions and what that says about uh, how this woman can and can't find meaning in the world, the fact that she has no real people to connect to, so she's connecting to these like random facts from history and trying to you know make connections with literary characters and things. What I, Craig, can't do in the moment page by page reading it is tell you why this reference here as opposed to that reference there. Yeah. What does that mean? Um, like, I don't know why we talk about... I Like, I can kind of back my way into understanding why we're talking about, um, like, the dog from the Odyssey. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of the philosophical references and the f- references to specific philosophers that m- kind of wash over me as a like, and here's parts where she's making connections based on philosophy. I don't know enough literally at all about those guys to like know why it's important she's picking those guys. Okay. But I know that she's doing it purposefully. I'm just not, I can't go beyond just seeing, oh, that's a reference to something. Um, that that So, like, that gets me to the meh of that review, mm-hmm. which is that, mm-hmm. like, I know I didn't taste every flavor in the meal. Mm-hmm. I don't have the taste buds for it. Well, or, like... Did- the palate did, for it. Do you does your brain even process taste in the same way as the brain of the person who made it? And so, Probably like, who's not. to say which ones? Who's who's to say which one is the right way? That's true. What else this do you is, have for me to respond to? I just I struggle with this kind of thought experiment where you get where everything leads like six degrees of Kevin Bacon. You're like six degrees from nihilism. Like no matter what observation you make or thing that you try to say or think or impose upon the world, you're like, you're never more than a couple thoughts away from nothing matters. Nothing is real. Who cares? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that, that makes it hard to get invested in the thing. If the, if the thing, if the point of the thing is like nothing is real and who cares? <laughs> I don't okay. I don't think the point of the thing is nothing is real. Who cares? Mm-hmm. I think the point of the thing is this is someone. This is a. I think this is 
it was interesting to me as a because uh, I can't know your mind. I can only know my mind. Um, inside of my mind, it was here is someone who perceives a world in which they can no longer connect to any other living thing how are they going to find meaning what will they do in the time that they are alone what does that aloneness feel like i don't think it said it doesn't necessarily say to me that nothing matters mm-hmm. it does say that true communication and relationships are very, very difficult, if at all possible, and that can be a very lonely feeling. Here's a book where you can explore what that might feel like on a level that is not plot-based, that is more uh, vibes-based, mm-hmm. and you can attempt, you can see what it might be like to be on that wavelength. And I think the fact that you, that he does not give you the... Here's a clear medical or plot related reason why this woman is the way she is. Like it just mm-hmm. doesn't that would rob it of of the power that it has. Okay. Um in the same way that like the though hmm not in the same way. <laughs> uh I do think that this is probably a book that is l- I like to I like to go to a museum, mm-hmm. look at a work of art, have a reaction to it, and then read the plaque and then maybe look back and see how and see that if you see anything else. Yeah, I think this is kind of like that and for some people, you know, some people don't like modern art, some people don't like renaissance art. Um like I think this is one of those things. It worked very well for me, or at least worked pretty well for me, or at least worked for me uh, <laughs> on my first pass. I don't know that I have the focus and the tools to do a second pass, like unassisted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because drive. I think I think you would be, or at least I I would want if I was going to go back and through it and do it again. It would be because I wanted to get more of it. And if I wanted to get more of it, I like my brain unaided has kind of gotten all it can get without outside help. You <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? This, I, I don't know if I would enjoy like talking to a philosophy professor about this book. Oh, I, I would have ended the sentence three words before <laughs> you did. Sorry, I, I kid philosophy professors. <laughs> Keyed, I keyed. Yeah, I mean, I only know my own mind. As far as you know, I don't even exist. So, what does it matter what I say? Yeah, let me just read this last section on thinking about thinking, and then I'll take us out. Uh, that sounds great. Um, because that is like, man, my mind got blown in fourth grade when our teacher asked us to start writing about the fact that we were writing. Like, start. Mm-hmm. That was a weird ten minutes of my life, and I've never mm-hmm. been the same. Mm-hmm. Um. At first glance, one would scarcely have expected Wuthering Heights to be a book about windows either, though it remains a fact that there was once some very real grass that had been mowed at the side of this house, as can be readily verified by a glance at that same painting, though I am very likely now contradicting myself. In either case, the tape has now stopped scratching. Now am I thinking about a cat, nor am I thinking about a cat any longer. Then again, I would 
certainly have had to be thinking about one while I was typing that sentence, even though the sentence says just the opposite. Surely one cannot type a sentence saying that one is not thinking about something without thinking about the very thing that one says one is not thinking about. (sighs) I believe I've only now noted this, or something very much like this. Possibly I should drop the subject. Actually, all I've been thinking about in regard to Achilles was his heel. (laughs) Yeah, man. Okay. This book works for me if I'm if I am like picturing the character very strongly and like trying to almost to put myself in a theater where a character is delivering this to me. I know mm-hmm. that that would also rob the book of a lot of its power, but mm-hmm. like that made it work. And if you are like remotely interested and you're struggle like really work hard to try and get this person to be a character that you can listen to. Mhm. And you you might might get over that initial hurdle there. Okay. So, yeah, Andrew, I don't know how you're feeling right now, and I will never know. It's impossible. I mean, I can. I th- I feel like I've tried to tell you how I feel. I've tried to tell you how I feel. Mm-hmm. But will, did any of this really happen? Oh boy! See, I feel. I don't like that. I don't like this. That's how. I, that's what I feel. Did, how are you with the fact that the universe is constantly expanding? Are you cool with that? Am like, I did, cool with it? Like, no, do I like, give it permission to? <laughs> does that, I, does like, that like? Does that work for you? Because it's like it, you got the you can look at the scientific theory and like. Well, it's just like it's it. so abstract that. It doesn't yeah. matter. Sure. Or like I don't matter to it. Like it, yeah. it can it can go and do that its thing. Yeah. And I I can't possibly be thinking about it or worrying about it because I already like I do too much thinking and worrying about big problems that I can't do anything about that I can like actually see in front of my face. I can't go think about like other problem you know cosmic problems uh-huh. i got cosmic problems. problems just like cosmic things that are happening yeah like I, sure. I can't think about like do podcasts exist on for alien life on other planets which I, i'm sure exists huh and like what are they doing out wait there? what are they worrying about wait 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 wait, wait. Mm-hmm. i don't how do you, you alien life yeah yeah statistically like absolutely yeah we're now, just all floating around, trapped out here by the theory of relativity. <laughs> now, have they all made podcasts? No, not necessarily, but again, statistically, just law of large numbers. If we made podcasts. If you and I could make a podcast. If you and I could make a podcast, then surely Bleep Blorp the Fabulon could, on Fabulon 3, the planet, could make podcasts. Now that's podcaster, baby. That's podcasting. That's solipsism, baby. Okay. Thanks for listening, Andrew. Glad we got to the bottom of this one. You're welcome. Yeah, we got all the way to the bottom. Nothing left to <laughs> nothing left to talk about. Nothing left to think about. We've, There's a lot we've exhausted of, it. A lot of stuff to think and talk about, and we were never gonna get to it. And that's how I feel okay. Mm-hmm. If you, the listener, want to email us a series of short declarative statements about how this episode made you perceive the world, 
you can send that to overduepod at gmail.com. Uh, hit us up on the Simple Declarative Statement website, Twitter, or Facebook, where no one can ever truly know each other, uh, at overduepod. Thanks to John, Megan, Sal, AA, Renata, Hannah, Clara, Sean, Sydney, Luciana, Rhea, and many more for reaching out. Uh, and what? Our theme song is what? composed by Nick Lorangis. <laughs> I've gotten mm-hmm. lost in my flaming beach house over here. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Um, theme song, Nick Lorangis. Andrew, folks want to know more about the show. Where do they go? Overduepodcast.com is our internet website. Up there we have links to the books that we have read and the ones that we are going to read. We also have links to bookshop.org. Click the links. You can buy the book. Your local independent bookstore gets a cut. We get a cut. You get a book. Everything is great for everybody. Um, we also have, what do we have? We have a Patreon project at patreon.com slash overdue pod, support the show directly, help us get equipment and pay for hosting and get access to bonus episodes early and to our discord server and to all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, next week I'm going to be reading my brilliant friend by Elena Ferrante. I did the emoji teasers for this month's schedule back in July mm-hmm. and, uh, I just put a light bulb, mm-hmm. two women holding hands, and then the Italian flag, number one. And mm-hmm. Nikki said, I love the Italian light bulb lesbians trilogy. <laughs> and I don't yeah. think that's what these books are, but I did like that name for them. So yeah. that's fun. I look forward to hearing about this book, Andrew. I look forward to reading it. All right, everybody. Until we talk to you next week, I guess if you exist or I exist or if anything exists... Please try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.